There's a, there's a lot of things that, you know, especially during a time of worship, the Holy Spirit will do in people's lives. You know, he'll stir your heart. He'll speak to you. He'll, he brings healing. He, he, he directs. He guides. He convicts. There's, there's wave after wave of, of experiences that the Lord brings to his people. And maybe you've gone through some this morning. I, I wanted to point something out to you before we even jump in the word today. Something that the Lord spoke to me this morning of just what he was wanting to do. He said he was going to bind up the brokenhearted. He's going to bind up the brokenhearted. There's a passage of scripture in Isaiah 61 that talks about the spirit of the Lord God is upon me and he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, the afflicted, right? To bind up the brokenhearted, to open blind eye, and to proclaim God's favor over your life. That binding up the brokenhearted. This is the thing that we're going to hit on today. We're going to talk about. I'm going to do it in a way that maybe you're not expecting. uh, We're going to take a little bit of a journey there. But I wanted to name it before we even get going here so you understand what's taking place. You know, the, the human soul is not meant to endure the experiences of sin and separation from your creator. You weren't meant to experience separation and division within your heart. And what I have experienced myself, and I know many of you can also make comment on this, but when you become a believer, when you come to know Jesus, the heart desires to follow him, to walk with him. And as you're walking with him, following him, he begins to speak to you, give you direction. The Holy Spirit maybe leads you to leave pieces of your life behind. Maybe he begins to bring conviction about certain aspects of life. And he, as you walk with him, you are union, you're in union with him and you're taking this journey and it's amazing and it's good. So powerful and wonderful. And then there are times when the Lord will ask you to do something and you may find your soul not wanting to. Does anybody ever have the I don't wanna thing rise up in you? You know, I don't wanna. And, and, and so you, you take your little stand, right, against God. How's that working for you, by the way? And in those moments where the fellowship of the Holy Spirit has been walking with us, we, we intentionally say no and begin to Harden our hearts towards that aspect of who God is in our lives. And we don't mean to, but, but that division, that thing that begins to creep in is your will begins to rise up, your personal decisive decision-making process. And it now becomes contrary to where the Lord is trying to lead you. And so you end up with a split personality. I'm not talking about clinically, you know, schizophrenic. I'm not, I'm not speaking in those kinds of terms. Although I do believe that part of the issue of the, the soul being in division and contrary with itself has to do with this type of experience. Where, where 
the Lord is leading us one way, we begin to say no to him, and we end up with a divided soul, divided intentions, divided appetites. Before long, that love of the Lord begins to grow cold, specifically in those areas, and we harden ourselves up. And you don't realize it, but you end up with a divided heart, even though you're a believer. That process of Jesus coming and binding up the brokenhearted, he takes the effects of the will that says no to God, and he removes those things and begins to bring unity so that your eye is single, that you have one point of view that leads your life and not multiple. Is anybody alive today? I know I can't be the only person up in here that has experienced this in their life. I've found this to be true, and maybe you have kids of your own and you've experienced this, but we, we have bumped into a strong-willed child every now and then in our band of happy fellows. Turns out the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. If you would ask my father and say, hey, how was, how was Jamie to, you know, as a son, was he a soft, tender-hearted, easily compliant child who said yes to everything you asked him to do? The answer might surprise you to find out that I, too, was a strong-willed child. Anybody surprised by that? Probably not very many. My favorite form of, uh, I don't want to call it rebellion, I, I want to call it like, well, I want to call it something else. <laughs> you know, where the word says, like, obey your parents, where the word says, honor your father and mother, turns out that the Lord didn't have, like, a, an age attached to that. Like, once you turn 18, you can do whatever the heck you want and say no to everything that your parents want. That's in the Bible too, right? It's in the small print. It's one of those little asterisks. <laughs> little letter A there with a footnote that just says, yeah, stick it to the man. <laughs> nope, actually, this is a, a command with a promise that it will go well with you, that, that this is a lifelong expression that's supposed to be in our lives. That honoring and submitting to those who've gone before us is actually a part of the process of growth in God and in life, and there's a great blessing attached to it. What I found, my very, uh, it's, it's not unique, but my version of rebellion, if you will, always came under the guise or under the, the banner of, I'm just asking clarifying questions. I would ask clarifying questions in order to distance myself from the application that you were trying to force me to have, right? I played the lawyer very well, still do to some, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> situations in my life, you know, like, like I find myself with this, this little man trying to stand on the throne of his life and say, I want to do what I want to do. Who are you to tell me what to do? And so maybe the command comes and someone would tell you what to do. The boss says, I want you to fill in the blank. This is where my will would stand up and ask a clarifying question. The point of the clarifying question was to limit 
responsibility. It was to minimize the impact of what they were asking me to do. I'll give you some illustrations here in a little bit, but this experience, this question asking, I found this to be true, that God wants us to understand his ways. Truly does. He's invited you to become a son, a child of God, one who is in line for the very throne of God as if he could ever be overthrown. But you are a child of inheritance. You are a child of the king. Meant to carry authority. Meant to steward the kingdom in your life. Understanding is a part of who God wants you to be. He wants you to know and understand his ways. But here's the deal. The scriptures don't promise understanding. You're not going to find a promise where God says, and by the way, I'll explain everything before you have to be obedient. In fact, nowhere in there is there a spiritual gift of understanding. There's not a supernatural anointing for understanding. In fact, understanding comes as you take the journey. It's something you grow in. God promises wisdom. He'll tell you what to do. That's beautiful. God, I don't know what to do. Please give me wisdom. Boom, he gives it to you. Lord, would you please give me knowledge? He'll give you a supernatural gift of the word of knowledge. You will learn and know, and you can know his ways. But when it comes to understanding, it's not part of the list because it's found in the journey you take with him. He's a father who wants to walk with you and help you to grow in all aspects up into him. And so you say yes to him, and you go on a journey with him, and you obey his commands, and you grow in understanding as you encounter him, and you learn his ways. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Seeking understanding is something you should do. You should ask for understanding. It's just not promised. So it may be that you go through some experiences in life that you don't understand. Lord, why did this happen? Why did I go through that? Man, I, I hope your curiosity gets, you know, fulfilled, but the reality is that there are probably some situations in your life that you're not going to understand until you're face-to-face -face with the king. He's not withholding it from you. However, he is inviting you to explore it. Proverbs says that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. And... It's the glory of kings to search the matter out. In other words, he wants you to understand it's a part of your royal birthright. But it's a journey you got to take. In the path of seeking understanding, I have found that there are sort of two directions that understanding will take you in. One is, as you understand, you will embrace more and more responsibility in your life. As you embrace what God has told you to do, you will grow in your ability to respond to difficult situations. You'll trust him. You'll express his will and his ways. You'll grow in understanding. It's amazing. It draws his ways closer to you. But there's another form of seeking understanding that limits responsibility. It's the law of the squishy head. You ready? Everybody do this. Okay? Hold it out a little bit further, like arm's length from you. Yeah, 
Yeah, just go for it. You know, if I had a photo, I'd take it of you right now. I can see you, by the way. I know if you're doing this or not, so just in case you thought you were hiding. Let's go at arm's length like this, and now look at somebody and squish their head. Okay? There it is. Squishing your head. The application of the squishy head is limited to one head at a time. What happens as you draw it close? I'm squishing all of you at the same time. If I begin to distance myself through questions, I can limit my response to what I can control. I can choose to apply it in one way and not in another. However, if I draw the law of the Lord and draw his ways close, in fact, if they get written on my heart, what happens is God's laws, the great law of love, suddenly means I have to apply it to all, not just specific situations. Understanding is meant to grow in our hearts in a way where our responsibility is increased and God's authority can rest on us more and more. It's the journey of the child of God. It's the call of every king that you would grow in these things. Don't just squish one person's head. Squish them all, okay? There are some types of questions that reveal truth. There are others that almost carry an accusation with them. For instance, did you not understand what you were supposed to do right there? Right? I'm seeking understanding. I'm trying to find out where, where you're at, right? Another form of that question is, what are you, stupid? See, that wasn't seeking understanding, was it? It was a question to categorize, to force something upon you, to distance my response ability in this situation, and to label you. Seeking understanding draws God's laws close so it applies to all, or it distances ourselves so we get to choose who God is in our lives. The divided heart means that Jesus is trying to bring your world into a single eye so you see and live your life the way that he wants you to. Can I get an amen up in here? <laughs> the law of the squishy head. There you go. You'll never forget. I, um, uh, I, I do executive coaching. Um, it's, a, it's more than a hobby. I feel like it's a part of my calling is to coach leaders. And, and the Lord has put lots of, I, I, I get the opportunity to, to be a coach to other senior pastors and uh, executives in the business world. I, I feel called to bring impact into the marketplace. And this is one of the ways that I get to do that. A coach, the job is not to tell people what to do, but rather to help them discover what they think about something. My job isn't to tell you what to do. My job is to get you to engage truth and find out where you are at compared to truth. When I have a conversation with somebody, oftentimes we'll, we'll set up an appointment, whatever, and they're walking through something, they're trying to figure out what to do. You know, they're, 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 something's off. And so I'll ask questions 
in order to discover, for them to hear their own voice. Because turns out, most people already know what they think about things. But sometimes we lack confidence to make a decision because it's not totally clear to us yet. So you need a sounding board. So you talk until something bounces off the other person. We all do this. You have coffee with a friend and you talk at them until something bounces back and now all of a sudden you have confidence. And you can make that decision. It wasn't because they told you what to do, but rather your own voice finally resonated. So I'll ask questions and I'll try to draw out what does the leader actually think? It's a part of the relationship there. I'm trying to discover and with them, I'm staying genuinely curious. But there are some times when like the problem is so obvious to me. We'll sit down, I can see what's going on in the person's life. It's really clear what the solution is. And I am tempted, very tempted, to just tell them, hey, did you know you had a booger right there? There it is. That's your issue, you should just change that. The problem with that is that it didn't come out of their own heart and so they're not sure what they think about that. So even though it could be truth, it didn't come from within and so it wasn't affirmed. And so you ask questions until their voice comes out of them and it resonates with truth and then you affirm it and suddenly they're confident to make steps forward. It's a beautiful process. Moms and dads, we do this with kids. Friends, you get to do it for each other. If you're somebody that just likes to tell people what to do, stop it. It's not helping. Now, Jesus is a master coach. Did you know this? Whoo, that dude is smart. He knows the human condition. He knows the human heart. And he knows how to ask the right question. When we look at the scriptures, we find that there are people that are really trying to follow God, and there are some just trying to get away with whatever they're trying to get away with. We're going to take a look at some today, and I'm hoping by the time that we're done today that you'll have a few tools to be able to recognize where your own heart is at in each situation and that, so that you'll have confidence. You'll know what to do and be able to take steps forward, confirming, affirming God's will for your life. Are you alive? All right. This is Luke chapter 10. If you got a Bible, please open to Luke 10. We're going to start in verse 25. Luke 10, verse 25. Hey, if you're alive, why don't you elbow your neighbor and say, it's good to see you this morning. If you're not alive, please let us know so we can call somebody. Luke, 20, Luke 10, verse 25. A lawyer stood up and put him to the test, put Jesus to the test. He said, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Look at Jesus, the master coach. What's written in the law? How does it read to you? What's he asking? He's going, hey, let's discover where you're at on this journey. How do you receive eternal life? Okay, what's written in the Bible? How does it read to you? The lawyer answered him and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. 
but wishing to justify himself, the lawyer asked him, and who is my neighbor? You tell me, was he drawing the law closer to him or was he attempting to limit his responsibility? Limit it, right? Let me ask a clarifying question so that I can know exactly how I'm supposed to apply this truth, Jesus. Why don't you narrow it down for me so that I know who I'm responsible to do this for and who I am not? Right? The lawyer is going, hey, clarify. I, I just, I just want to encourage you this morning. If you're somebody that needs to know before you take action, man, I'm really going to get up on your stuff. And the point is to help you, though, because clarity is way overrated. It's way overrated, especially when it comes to God and truth. It's way overrated, meaning this. We attempt to clarify and clarify and clarify. That word means this, and that word means that. And, and the point of doing that is so that we can decide how we want to apply God's word instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to be the one that says, hey, we're supposed to love everybody, not just those, not just that group of people. We're supposed to respond in kindness to everybody, not just that group of people. The scripture says, thou shall not commit adultery. If I draw that law close or if I push it away from me, thou shall not commit adultery. If I push it away from me, what's that mean? Oh, we're only speaking to married people. Because married people have a covenant with someone else, and if you commit adultery, it means you're violating that marital covenant. And so, thou shalt not commit adultery means it's only applying to the married people in this room. And I'm not married, so I can just do whatever I want, right? Isn't that what it means? Right? If I push the law out, if I go, ah, it only has to be applied over here. Squishy head, squishy head, squishy head. It's just the married people in this room. But Jesus goes, hey, no, no, let's draw that one a little closer. If anyone looks lustfully at another person, you're violating this law of love. You're committing adultery in your heart. Clarifying questions so that you can limit response is not the direction that the Lord is leading you. He wants you wholeheartedly to be walking in union with him. Is anybody alive today? Wishing to justify himself, he said, hey, well, who's my neighbor? The lawyer's pushing the law away from him. He wants to narrow the application. But look at Jesus' response. This is verse 25. The lawyer stood up and said to him, what should I do to inherit life? He gives his answer. Jesus affirms it. Yep, do that. You'll live. Wishing to justify himself. Who's my neighbor? Verse 30. Jesus replied in story form. <laughs> Why does Jesus always answer in stories? If he clarified it for you, then you'd only be responsible to that direct application. But he leaves it in story format so that the Holy Spirit can convict you of all sorts of things. He leaves it in story format so that the application is much broader. So that the Holy Spirit gets to be the one that helps you interpret its meaning in your life right now. 
A man was going down to Jerusalem, or excuse me, going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among the robbers. Don't you wish I had a flannel graph up here right now? Just put the dude on a camel and then some bandits getting him. They stripped him and they beat him. They went away leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. The Levite also, when he came to that place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him, he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and he gave it to the innkeeper and said, take care of this man. Whatever more you spend, when I return, I'll repay you. And then Jesus asked the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell amongst the robbers? The man said, the one who showed mercy to him. And then Jesus said, ah, go and do the same. Hmm. <laughs> when the law's on the outside, we narrow our response and who we're going to apply it to. When the law's on the outside, you get to determine how you're going to respond. But the scripture says this, that in this new covenant of Christ, that the Lord brought the law from the outside to the in. This is Hebrews chapter 8, starting in verse 7. Hebrews 8, verse 7. The first covenant, if it had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to seek for a second. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant. Everyone say new covenant. With the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I brought them by the hand, leading them out of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me, from the least to the greatest, for I'll be merciful to their iniquities, and I'll remember their sins no more. The new covenant took the law from the outside and put it inside. Took it from specific application and put it inside of us and made it the law of love in that when you love, you fulfill all that's required. A priest, a Levite, a Samaritan. Sounds like the beginning of a joke, doesn't it? A priest... This is a commissioned minister of God. Their job is to minister to God's people. They've been commissioned, set apart for this purpose, to minister to God's people. The priest is walking down the road, sees this man, whoever he was, 
Doesn't say who he was. Sees this man, and the priest looks at the situation and goes, uh, if I get involved, I'll be unclean because I'll have come in contact with open wounds. I'm busy doing something else. I don't really even know his situation. Maybe he deserved it. I don't know really what's going on fully here, but I am going to limit my response in this moment. And instead of drawing near to it, I'm going to distance myself from it so that I can keep going on my way. A priest, the job is, it's the pastor, okay? It's a pastor. If you're in this room today and you're a pastor, I'm talking to you right now. Right? The pastor's job is to minister. But here's a situation where the situation came up. They decided to distance themselves instead of get their hands dirty. A Levite walking down the same road comes up to the same situation. He sees it. The Levites were the tribe in Israel that were where the priests came from. Their DNA, it's, it's, they are, their identity is to be the ministers unto the Lord, to represent God in this fashion. It's the clan that's known for ministry. It's Christians. It's the church. It's you and me. In every regard, we are called to be a holy priesthood unto the Lord, a nation that's made up of God's people who will minister to the world on his behalf. What happens? The Levite comes walking down the road, sees the situation. What's the response? The response is to distance, to limit, to choose to keep going and doing what we're doing while there's a guy half dead sitting on the side of the road. Distance, limit response, choose to look the other way and keep going. And then Jesus says there's a Samaritan coming. Samaritans were a mixed blood group of people. They were Israelites who had and were born of a union with other nations. Moms and dads got married that were not just Jews. And so they're intermarried, and there was this mixed group of nationality living within the borders of Israel in Samaria. And they were considered unclean. They were considered the enemy. They were considered people who were not connected to God's plan, people without inheritance. They're the other. And when the Samaritan comes walking down the road, which would have been very difficult, by the way, for this lawyer to answer this question, because... Because the Samaritan's not supposed to be applying mercy. They, they just, we don't consider them God's chosen people. And so I don't know who that is for you, but the Samaritan, as he walks and comes upon the situation, instead of distancing himself, he drew near. And when he drew near, he had compassion. And when he responded out of that compassion, it cost him. It cost him the oil. It cost him the wine. It cost him time, bandages, resources. It cost him. He's now unclean, right, according to the law. He got involved with a group of people you're not supposed to, right? He's considered other than, like, 
He takes the man and brings him to the inn. This is costly to his journey. It's a slower thing now. Takes care of the man. Pays for it. Some reason he got involved. For some reason he got involved. And then the question comes back to the lawyer. Okay, who was the neighbor? Who did what the law tells him to do? Ah, the man who had compassion and demonstrated mercy. The man who had compassion demonstrated mercy. Can I give you a word of wisdom? I mean, this is, you can take this one to the bank. When you see somebody going through something, if you want to know what God wants from you, get close. Don't distance yourself from their pain. Don't go on a prayer retreat to find out God's will. Don't go fast and pray seeking for God's answer by distancing yourself from their pain. No, no. Draw close. Get close. Make your decision from here. Don't make your decision from the other side of the road. Make your decision as you drew up close. I don't know what you should do. You don't know either. That's why when you draw close and compassion overwhelms your soul, the Holy Spirit will speak to you and guide you what you're supposed to do. Jesus walked by sick people all the time, y'all. He didn't heal everyone. There are cities that he came into where it says, yes, he healed everyone, but there's clearly other opportunities where he passed people by. I'm not saying that God's going to make you, and this is kind of the fear that God's going to make you do everything. That's not what he's after. He's after a heart that is compassionate and merciful to who he is. Why do we distance ourselves from other people's pain? Why do, we, why do we run from other people's junk? What, what causes that thing in us? I think sometimes it's our own pain. We get near somebody and their situation reminds us of the one we went through at some point. We can recognize the mess that it's going to cause, and so we, for reputation's sake or because it's gonna hinder your journey, you know, you step back, you don't get involved. There's lots of reasons why people don't get involved, yeah? It happens. I'm not here to condemn you today here, I'm here to help you. I'm not here to heap something on you, I'm here to liberate your hearts today to make us one with the Lord. When Jesus, when there's pain, and we draw near, something will rise up in us. When we get close to something, the compassion of the Lord will rise up in us. There's a divine enablement that happens when you choose to draw near, not turn and run away. You can see the storm coming, yeah? There it is, the storm. You can see it coming. What should you do? Run to the storm or run away from it? Hmm. I heard a, uh, a, a story recently that I, I um, when I heard it, I was like, oh, that's, that's brilliant. It's amazing. What's the difference between cows and bison? It's interesting. Herd of cows out in the field and a storm's coming. The cows will run away from the storm. They'll run away from it. That maybe seems smart. You see the storm coming, you run away from it, Right? The problem with running away from storms is that the storm keeps coming. And so what happens to the poor cows? They just stay in it longer. They're moving. The storm's moving. They just stay right ahead of the storm. So they're right in it. 
They're in it for a lot longer. You know what bison do? Bison look at the storm and they run towards it. Brilliant. Bison, run at the storm. Man, I can't imagine. You know, fear wells up when you see trouble coming. We see difficulty. Fear can rise up, but what are we supposed to do? Do we run away from storms or do we run towards them? When pain rises up, do you run away from it or do you run towards it? The bison run towards it, and as a result, they're through it much quicker. And on the other side of the storm, the ground has been watered, there is refreshment available, and there's a nourishment available that the storms produce. Who are you? Are you a dumb cow or are you a powerful bison? I don't want to hear anybody calling people dumb cows. Sorry. Don't do that. <laughs> My pastor says, nope. <laughs> I want to make one application. Okay. Make a, it's, it's powerful. It's clear. And uh, it's a little bit like surgery. So hopefully you giggled and laughed enough to get you all schnockered up here. And... Uh, we're going to touch it. We're going to look at one more question. This one came from a disciple. Disciple asked the question. I want you to tell me if they were drawing near or if they were, if they were projecting, if they're trying to limit or if they're trying to embrace the effect of the Lord's command. Okay? This is Matthew 18. Matthew 18, starting in verse 15. If your brother sins, go show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you won your brother. If he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen to even the church, then let him be to you as a Gentile or tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered in my name, I am there in the midst. That, that statement there, two or three gather my name, two agree on something, that's about the application of mercy. That's about the decision of is mercy applied in this situation? Are we embracing a people? It's as if the Lord is standing there. It's not about getting your second Lamborghini or a bigger house, okay? The agreement in prayer, this is about the application of God's kingdom and his mercy. Look at this. And then Peter, you gotta love Peter. Big old stick your foot in your mouth, Peter. Right? He, he asked the question everybody else is too. Peter came and said, okay, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? What's he doing? Right? He's, woo, we gotta keep this seven times, okay? Seven times. This is within my capability. I can apply this to a situation, right? Seven times. What's Jesus say? 70 times seven, Peter. He goes, ah, you gotta pull this one close. You gotta pull this one close. I'm going to read one more verse and then make some comments to you. This is Matthew 5, 23. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there and go. 
First be reconciled to your brother, and then come present your offering. Hmm. Matthew 18 says, if your brother sins against you, go to them. Bring confrontation. Matthew 5 says, if you sin against your brother and you recognize, oh, they have something against me, go to them. If they sin against you, go to them. If you sin against them, go to them. Is there anyone lacking clarity here? If they sin against you, what are you supposed to do? Go to them. If you remember that you did something wrong to somebody else, what are you supposed to do? What's the point? You are removing the distance in relationships. You're not allowing any breach. You go to them. You go to them. You go confront. You go ask for forgiveness. You don't allow any form of distance in the relationship. You know what? That is a fearful thing to do. That's hard. That's scary. But we're not supposed to allow division to come in our relationships. We're not supposed to allow connection to be broken. We're supposed to make sure that we remain connected. We're supposed to do whatever's in our power to eliminate the divisiveness, the, the split personality of the body of Christ. We go to them. The law of love demands that both, whether you sinned against them or they sinned against you, the law of love, when you draw the law close, it says, no matter what, let's not allow division to happen in our hearts towards people. When I push it away, I go, oh, I'll apologize when they admit they're wrong. When I push it away, I make it circumstantial. Ah, oh, when they say something to me, then I will. And I limit the power. When I pull the law of love close, suddenly I realize I'm not supposed to have this kind of division in my heart towards anybody. When I distance it out, I go, up. Oh, I'm 18. I don't need to listen to my parents anymore. I get to make my own decisions. Live with my own consequences. Yes, you do. The law of love pulls it close and says, honor your father and mother because there's a really great blessing associated with this. Do not commit adultery. Says, if I push it out here, it's, it's all, I don't have to think about this. I can live loosely and do whatever I want with my body until I get married. Not realizing that all the consequences that come from that. But if I pull the law of love close and I begin to see what Jesus is really after, what the Lord's after, a pure heart living in connected relationships with others and that it affects everything. Suddenly my body's a temple and I'm not interested at all, even in the remotest part of this kind of impurity dwelling in my heart and mind. Just, do you see how this works? I really truly believe, my friends, the Holy Spirit is knocking on our hearts again and he's saying, hey, let me in. Let's do life together. I heard, a, I heard a, a, another story. A young man comes up to the pastor. He says, hey, if I come to know Jesus, do I got to stop smoking pot? The pastor says, no. 
I used to say, oh, wait, 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 let me ask this a different question. If I, if I, if I give my heart to Jesus, um, you know what pot is, right? It's marijuana. Like, do I need to stop smoking marijuana? The pastor goes, no. He said, uh, am I in church? Wait, what's going on here? The pastor says, hey, it's such a powerful lesson. You should let this one sink deep in your heart. You don't clean yourself up so that you can go to Jesus. Jesus, the great physician, wants you to open the door of your heart and just begin to fellowship with him. And as you draw near, he's going to walk you through a process. He's going to talk to you about life. He's going to coach and teach you to live according to his ways. And when it comes time and he wants to talk to you about that, he will. But right now, we're talking about your salvation. I think sometimes we do this with our heart because we're afraid of what God will say. Because maybe we already know the answer to the question and we don't really want it. And so we distance ourselves from its application. We clarify things so that we don't have to live according to his ways. Friends, there's a fresh invitation of revival in the house today that our hearts would be revived in love. Let the law of love draw near. What do you do when you see a storm coming? What do you do when pain is on the horizon? See, if you keep running from your pain, if trauma happened in your past, but you keep pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, then it starts to pop up in other areas of your life and you start having what's called these PSTD moments. Unresolved trauma. I want to encourage you today that the Father loves you so much and that whatever it takes for you to face it and walk towards it, you should. If you need help, you should. Go get help. You need a counselor. You need someone to walk you through it. You need a coach. Awesome. Go do it. Don't run away from the pain. Run towards it. Right? Don't be a dumb cow. All right, would you stand to your feet today? <laughs> That'll be the sound bite, won't it? That's all right. Whatever. Please listen to the context. You should put a hand on your own heart today. Lord, we love you. We love your ways. We want to know you. We really do, Father. We're asking that we would know you. Would you release a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know what to do, Lord, that we might walk according to your ways. Lord Jesus, we hear you knocking today, and we invite you, come in, Lord. Come in. We open the door of our hearts. Would you come in? Lord, we want to fellowship with you. We want to know you. Come on, if that's a cry of your own heart, would you just give voice to that today? Would you just speak that to him, Lord? Open the door of my life. I want you to come in. I want to know you. I want to know your ways. I trust you, Lord. I trust you. Lord, there's some pain in our lives. All of us have daddy wounds. All of us do. Fathers do the best that they can, but there's no way for them to do it all right. We all have father wounds. The heavenly father is perfect. You can trust him. 
The heavenly father's perfect. You can trust him. I want to invite you today to allow your questions not to create distance, but open the way for him to draw near to you. Father, this morning I pray for your people and that you would fill them with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Holy Father, I pray that you would heap blessing upon blessing, that they would know your goodness in ways that they couldn't have possibly imagined. Father, I pray for the strong-willed child in here that never had it corrected, that your kindness and goodness would lead them to repentance. I pray that they would come to know you as good so much, Lord, that it changes their mind about all the other ways of saying no to you. Lord, I pray waves of mercy would follow each one all the days of their life mercy and kindness and lord for a broken world that desperately needs to know you're good lord i pray that the good works of this house these people oh lord that they would put your goodness on display god i bless your people today i bless your people today father i'm asking right now by your angels that you would remove every demonic hindrance the scripture is very clear about unforgiveness. There will be demonic stuff happening around you when you have, when Christians hold on to unforgiveness, when they hold on to bitterness, demonic stuff is associated with it. If you're a believer today and you have torment in your life, I'm telling you, it's not a if it is unforgiveness, it is unforgiveness. Don't be afraid. Run at the storm and watch what the Lord will do in your life. Father, I pray that you would remove every cord that has bound them. I pray, Father, for the delusions and lies that have kept people in iniquitous patterns, that that stuff would be illuminated and removed from their life. Father, release your angels to remove the work of the devil off of your sons and daughters this morning. I pray and decree this by the blood of Jesus. And now, Holy Spirit, you fall afresh on each one. That joy would be their portion. That joy would be their portion. Strengthen them and fill them, God. May the Lord bless you. Oh, may the Lord keep you. May the Lord's countenance be towards you. May he be gracious to you. And may he grant you peace. And everyone that dared to agree with that said, amen. Come on, can we give a good clap to the Lord this morning?